Welcome to another episode of War Stories. I'm Tom. And I'm Chuck. And I'm pretty stoked for this week because uh, as a musician myself, uh, we, a couple weeks back, had uh, probably more than a couple weeks, like a month or two. Hey, 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 not the only musician. I play drums. That's true. I I, I should say uh, currently practicing musician. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I know with your knee, you haven't been able to play for I don't. Did you even still have a drum set? Oh yeah, I do. Yeah, it's in storage right now, being held hostage by my fucking mother, who will not Uh. give it to me for the last ten years, (laughs) ten years, fifteen years, Uh, did sixteen years. Just using it as collateral. Yeah. Well, uh, it's at least a month ago, maybe two. uh, We had someone on who brought to our attention uh, the music of Shannon Book. And uh, we closed our episode with one of his songs, You're Not Alone. And uh, subsequently, uh, Shannon was stoked to hear his song on the podcast. And we uh, ended up just chatting. And uh, Shannon's a cool fucking dude. So I invited him on. And, and guess who's here? What's up, Shannon? How are you? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need our drummer to take his, take his socks off, change his socks, and, and take some milk <laughs> and drink your water. Ronnie right, wearing socks, wearing Crocs. Oh, okay, change your Crocs, fool. <laughs> hey, you guys know the uh, the last thing a bass player says before he gets fired? No, but this is going to be good. I already know. The last thing a bass player ever says before he gets fired is, "Hey, I wrote some songs." <laughs> uh, and and for Chuck, I wanted to give you this one. How do you know when a drummer's at your door? The knock speeds up and he doesn't know when to come in. I'm still using that shit again. It's going to oh, happen. For, for those of you who don't play music, those are very funny jokes. For those of you they who are, do. If you yeah. don't understand it. It's okay. It's all right. <laughs> it's fucking so true. Anyway. <laughs> oh, so, uh, Shannon, you've been, how long, like, just tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get into the military and, and get all the way i mean you you spent almost an entire career in the military and you're uh retired if i understand correctly and then started a whole second career so how did you end up getting into the military in the first place well first and foremost i was born in the middle of nowhere kentucky and i just needed a way out like like in a holler like in a holler i I worked with a chp copper who was born and raised in Kentucky, and he told me, "No, no, son, I grew up in poverty in a holler." And right, he, right. Well, what's, he, what's, what's all this white privilege garbage? Yeah, like? right. I grew yeah, up in a single wide trailer in a holler in the middle of nowhere, Kentucky. Yeah, he told me that he laid, put a glass of water out Kentucky. at night; yeah. and it'd be frozen the next morning. <laughs> yeah, didn't man. Have no heat. Yeah, or he just put it on the counter and wake up next morning to have a block of ice for his. That's freaking, what he's saying. Yeah. Yeah. Completely froze. So anyway, yeah, uh, so you were born in the middle of nowhere and just tried to get out. So, so I, um, uh, I mean, I really didn't hate where I grew up. I grew up in the, you know, in East Burnside, Kentucky, little place called Hazel Green. Um, you know, very, very patriotic part of small world, nowhere, Kentucky. 
And my grandfather was a sailor. Uh, well, one of my grandfathers was a sailor. The other one was a soldier. Um, you know, back around World War II era. Right. You know, Korea, World War II, Korea. And, you know, so it, it just kind of, it just kind of made sense. Like, like, and it was either play football to go to school or go to the military to go to school. Cause I grew up in a single wide trailer. Like I, it wasn't like we were well, well off, you know? Right. Right. And I wanted to support and defend my country. So I watched, I watched uh desert storm. Like I'm sure yeah. some of you guys did, uh, you know, on TV, like there was only four channels, five channels back then, but yeah, like I watched desert storm on TV. It was, yeah, it was know. straight up live. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, like, Hey, just so you know, we're going to, what's that big white X on the TV for? Boom. Oh, wow. There's a smoke cloud. All right. Cool. <laughs> yeah. And the F one seventeen made its debut, and right, right, right. M one M one tank, and all mm-hmm. uh, all that cool stuff. So that kind of created an itch for me to, you know, join the service as well. Um. So I like I always wanted to support and defend the country. Like it's, I've always been a patriot. It's just yeah. it's just it was ingrained in me. My grandfather was, you know all about taking care of the constitutions, both my grandfathers, you know, my, you know, my grandfather, my grandfather book was a, a businessman and, you know, capitalism was, was important to everybody. And if, if if you take care of the people that work for you, they take care of you. And that was just right. what I was taught, you know? So long story short, I wanted to be a Marine I know, right? Oh, he wants to go be a Marine. <laughs> right, right. I literally walked into the Marine Corps recruiting office. Like I did the PFT. I did the PFT screener. I did the freaking ASVAB screener. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm sitting in the freaking back office with Gunny, who's doing all the freaking the monitor stuff. Yep. Like, so what what do you want? What do you want to do, boy? I'm like, and you know, he's he's got his coffee cup and he's spitting his cup and hanging in his coffee cup, you know. After he just poured out, after he just finished his cup of coffee. And I was like, well, I want to be a doctor. <laughs> he was just like, what shit. Like, he's just like, and I'm like, we'll he take goes, you next you door. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, hold on. It gets, yeah. He's like, you don't want to be a sniper or a cop <laughs> or a killer. No, sir. I, I, just, I just want to be a doctor. Now, rewind a little bit. Just before that, probably about a year and a half prior to that, I had cut my toes off in a lawn mowing accident. Oh, Kentucky. Oh, shit. It is what it is. It is what it is. It's Kentucky. <laughs> um, so I cut off two and a half toes, and I spent a little time in, you know, in a in a trauma ward. Um, and my trauma surgeon was probably. Little German guy, I'm sure he's dead now, but you know he was like 70. Trump, amazing trauma surgeon, did 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 some amazing work on what was left of my foot. Um, and after that two weeks in the hospital, like I was probably playing, like he did such a good job 
Like I was playing football in like three and a half, four weeks. Wow. Like I was back on the football field. Like I was at two a days practice. Damn. So it's fucking rough. That's tough. Well, I mean, dear generation X, you either do it or you don't. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So, that's the so, way we were raised, man. Yeah. 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 Earn All it. it hurts. That sucks for you. Get off, get off the truck, whatever. Rub some dirt on it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so I, you know, I, I was I was completely blown away by his demeanor and what he did and how he did it. And I was like, I want to be a I want to be a surgeon. I want to be a doctor. So that's why I told Gunny what I told him. And he was like, You don't want to be a sniper. You don't want to be a, a cop or a killer. And I'm like, No, I want to be a doctor. And he just kind of spit in his cup again. And he pushed himself away from his desk and he got up. And he, he goes, follow me, boy. And we get up from the desk, <laughs> walk across the hallway to the, Navy, to the Navy office. And he looks at this Boiler Tech second class and he goes, hey, boats. He goes, this young man right here wants to be a Fleet Marine Force Navy corpsman. Make it happen. <laughs> now, like, I want to be a doctor. Like, that <laughs> yeah. didn't sound like I didn't doctor. know what that meant. <laughs> I just knew that that like I was probably on my road to being a doctor. Like, and I was like, I asked the boiler tag. I was like, so does that mean I'm going to be a doctor? He goes, yeah, yeah, it's possible. I'm like, <laughs> go to college. That's cool. <laughs> oh God, bless recruiters. Yeah, we're gonna cut up a pig, and you're gonna you're gonna get that motherfucker to. Never has there been lying class. for a more noble cause. Facts legit. <laughs> I mean, I know I I knew I had to go to I knew I had to go to medical school and I knew I had to take the MCAT and I knew I'd do all that for medic for medical school, but I thought that this was the easiest and most effective path for me you to You could get go there. into a recruiter and tell oh, them absolutely. you wanted to be a fire truck and they would tell you you could be a fire truck. Yeah, they would. They would. <laughs> they would. I, you listen, wanna... I can't tell you they wanted me to recruit and I was like, mm. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I did two tours of combat, and they were like, "So you want to go to recruiting station?" I'm like, mm-hmm. "Nope, I'm not. I'm not interested in lying to, lying to people." Like you realize, I just came out of Fallujah. Yeah, like I'm not gonna be. There's no way. Anyway, that's how I became a Navy corpsman. And his next question was, "So where do you want to go to boot camp?" I'm like, "I don't know where boot camp's at. <laughs> what are my choices?" <laughs> he goes, "You got you got Orlando." You got well, oh, actually, Orlando was still open then. Yeah, Orlando was still open. Orlando, you got Great Lakes, Illinois, or you've got San Diego. And I was like, oh, and San Diego is still open. Oh shit, yeah, San Diego. Oh yeah, Great Lakes. Matt went through. The, only the, the women company. could go to Orlando. I was in the last company that that graduated from San Diego. Wow, <clears throat> I think it's just Great Lakes now. Yeah, it's yeah, just, it is. It is. Yeah, great mistakes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's where Matt went. I actually went. His family took me with them to go see him graduate from Great Lakes. Oh wow! You know, I almost went to the Navy. Oh really? We're gonna trade. We're gonna trade. I, tra- I thought you did. Happening now? <laughs> no, I went to the Navy. Oh, that was a good but... joke. That was a good joke. <laughs> um, he joined the I Navy. Almost did. Leather strap around his neck. <laughs> they made me take the fucking ASVAB, and I scored really well. And I was like, "Fuck yeah!" They're like, "You can go and and, and do uh, Navy SWIC if you want." And I was like, "That's what I want to do. I want to be a, a you know on the, the SWIC team." Guy. And I was like, "Cool." And then they came back and they said, well, um, apparently we didn't uh, realize that you had taken it in high school and it was um, you scored so shitty on it, but you still passed it. However, there wasn't a long enough time period between when you took it at MEPS 
So that good score you got, yeah, we got to throw that out and we we can't accept you into these, but we can get you into um, into something else, but you, you can't qualify for SEALs right off the bat or Navy SWIC or whatever. And I was like, well, I want to be on a, like, a, like a swift boat crew. Like I want to be on a boat crew, you know, like that's some cool shit. And he's like, yeah, no, you'd have to wait. I was like, how much longer? He's like, gave me the time frame. I was like, fuck that. And then, so <clears throat> they wanted to push me into fucking uh, like uh, combat arms or not combat arms, but uh, the fucking MPs, the shore police. And yeah. I was like, mm, nah. <laughs> and so I ended up going to the Marine Corps and then I ended up going to Paris Island. But um, long story short, I ended up going to the Marine Corps. And you were on a boat crew on an AV. Yeah. <laughs> I got lied to. They said I was supposed to be tanks. <laughs> you, you were a tank? You were an extreme light armored tank. They're like, you got tanks. And I was like, yeah, like, yeah, water tanks. And I was like, God damn it. I was like, so it's a cannon on? They're like, no. I was like, what makes it a tank? It's got tracks and it floats. And I was like, he's like tanks. He's like beer. Anyway, I mean, that's that's how that shit works, though. But yeah. Yeah. So you you ended up becoming a corpsman. You, you, you spent how how many years and and I know you you did some time you know obviously deployed. Yeah, I did. So I mean, I, I've done a, I've done a few deployments. Um, I mean, I did two combat deployments, but I've done plenty of other deployments because you know Marines are always well, like people. That's I'm, I'm going to say this real quick before we segue into that. I'm kind of over this whole bring them all home because we're always deployed. Like, right, just what we do. <laughs> like, right, we're we're out there as a show of force so people don't act stupid. You know, I, I think Dan Crenshaw said it best. He says, we go over there so they don't come and do dumb shit over here. Mm-hmm. Right. We take it to their door so they don't bring it to ours. Yeah. Hey, uh, you see what we brought to your door? Yeah. 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 If you come to our door, we got more of the same plus all the citizens. So have you guys ever heard <laughs> of the Great Eastern. White Fleet? Yeah, no. So the Great White Fleet back in World War One was all of the battleships. They took all the battleships and they painted them white. They painted them stark white. Okay. And they floated them from port to port to port to port to port. And they gave people tours and did all this other stuff. And they were like, hey, so this is just so that you know that if you do something stupid, we'll shoot 18 miles. We'll shoot a small Volkswagen 18 miles at you. Yeah. This was uh, our, our way of saying fuck around and find out. Right, the original oh. dog and pony show. The original, yeah, the original yeah. dog and pony. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, anyway, where were we going after that? I, you were deployed a couple of combat deployments, yeah, but several deployments, well, several regular I, deployments, I guess. So I did seventeen years total, um, and you know, I retired in two thousand ten. I uh, did two tours of combat. I did. Um, the invasion into Iraq in 2003, all the way up into Anazaria. And then we were, once we took Anazaria, 2nd Battalion, 1st Marines became the the RBE uh, or the, you know, the remain behind force. Um, and we just kind of held Anazaria. Um, left there, came home for about four months. And I was going to go to school to be a CRNA. Like I was going to go to school, get my nurse's degree, and then go to certified nurse anesthetist school. And uh, that's good money. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I yeah. transferred from second time, first Marine to the freaking first Marine regiment. I was like, I'm going to go to college. Screw you guys. Well, the regiment deployed the Fallujah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so in Marine Corps, the Marine Corps, birthday, <laughs> the Marine Corps birthday of 2003, I was in 29 Palms doing a workup for freaking Fallujah. Mm. In 2004. Little 29 Palms. Mm. Fuck that place. Dear Camp Wilson. Fuck you, dude. That place is <laughs> goddamn. Ugh. So, At least you weren't there in this the fucking summertime. God Jesus. Uh, yeah, Christ. no, yeah. Fortunately we weren't. But we did have a beer. We had a we had a we had a brawl on the birthday. There was uh I don't know what happened. I, I really don't know what happened. Was, <laughs> we were we were there was an air wing that had deployed with us. Uh, in 2003, in the beginning of 2003, that was going, that was doing the workup with us, and VMA 311 was they had they they had all of the beer at like three o'clock in the morning still, <laughs> and, we already, and like all of those all of us grunts had already finished like all of our booze, our beer, and we were like, wait, we still hear music. There's a concert hut that's jamming. We're going to go over there. So we went over and we walked in. We just kind of started hanging out and everything was cool. And then all of a sudden, we don't even like grunts. <laughs> I'm like, what? And then it was just like, <laughs> right. Like at, at four o'clock in the morning, I'm looking for somebody's tooth in the sand. It was weird. <laughs> there I, I was. <laughs> so there I was searching for this tooth, right? Looking for a tooth. <laughs> Jesus. That's so hilarious. we did the work up, and then you know, in February of two thousand four, we were off to freaking Fallujah. And how, how long were you in Fallujah? Tour? I was in Fallujah till about about mid year. Okay, and uh, did a whole deployment was, to Fallujah. Was that um, where in the in the scope of the taking and returning and subsequent like where do you so i did part of i did part of i did all of vigilant resolve and then i did part of phantom fury the beginning of phantom fury mm. okay so it wasn't like you were you know uh just sitting around <laughs> doing nothing like mm. there <laughs> oh no no like i was off. yeah so so john tulin was rtc1 and uh I was sitting at the regimental office and I was the LPO of the regimental medical office at the time. And we, they brought in, um, I was a second class and I was a senior petty officer. Um, and they brought in, uh, HM one powder Warren, great guy, amazing dude. And he came in to take the LPO position and they were going to put me back at supply. And I'm like, mm, no, there was a phone call from the regiment and they're like, Hey, we need a PSD doc. <laughs> and I was like, um, I'll be over in three minutes. And I talked <laughs> you to the found one. Like, Yeah. I'm like, mm, <laughs> I'm sitting here playing freaking gas mask Wednesday and all this garbage. So, um, I went with the RCT, uh, as, uh, as the PSD doc, one of the PSD docs. Um, and we went wherever John Tulin went, which was a lot of places. If there was a firefight, he wanted to be there. Didn't matter. So we so were how how, how there. many <clears throat> how many incursions or, or how many firefights is it is it you're talking daily or are you talking weekly? Oh good lord, I don't, I couldn't I mean 
in 2004, there was there were firefights all over the place. It was it was, like, was kind of like one nonstop long. Yeah, like, it was just like firefight with like if it was a lulls in between almost. Right? Yeah, if it was a quiet day, we were kind of like you're worried. Like, yeah, stinky. Yeah, like like I don't like I don't like I sit in this house in my house right now. Like if it gets too quiet in my house, I get weird. I'm like, <laughs> I got to turn the TV on or something just to have some background noise because in my head I'm going. I got to walk around the house. I got to check the windows, the doors and stuff, go walk outside and I got to check the perimeter. It's weird. So if it got quiet, like it was just, it was just constantly buzzing. Like Fallujah in 2004 was just, it was nonstop buzzing, you know? And if we weren't in a firefight, we were, you know, I don't, we were weird. We were a weird company to be honest with you. RPSD, we had a we had a pretty interesting reputation. We had so we were part of the colonel. We were the colonel security, um, and he were, we were always out on the road. We had two teams, and we split them up, you know, a couple days at a time or every other day, just depending on what what was going on. Um, and we had all these pack strappers that just wanted to go out and get their combat action ribbons and blah, 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 blah. And you could guarantee that mm-hmm. if you jumped on the bustle dust, you're going to get some action somewhere. So there was a lot of that going on. At one point we even did an insertion. Our, our PS, it sounds weird as hell, but our PSD did an insertion for one five up around route Lincoln uh, at like one o'clock in the morning uh in a complete freaking what do they call that <laughs> where the moon you can't see the moon an eclipse oh yeah like a new moon mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. pitch black outside no ambient light. nobody gave us the <laughs> intel that it was going to be an eclipse mm-hmm. so weird. you couldn't even see, see with the mpgs because it was so dark jesus christ wow. yeah that's really dark yeah it was so dark that it, like you couldn't see with MBGs, and so we we did this insertion, and uh, we're coming back down Route Lincoln, um, which was IED Alley at the time, and we're coming down Route Lincoln, and my gunner had his Peck Four shining on the road so I could drive. Fuck Jesus! That's how dark it was. Fuck! Wow. So for people that don't understand, Chuck, why don't you explain what shining your peck for? Because we have a lot of civilian listeners. Um, so just kind of paint the picture of what that's like, because maybe people don't understand how completely pitch dark that is. Driving in low light conditions, you cannot see fucking anything. Even when you're using like white hot, black hot type of things, um, it. It's the equivalent of driving with your fucking eyes, your hands over your eyes with uh, just cracking open, maybe a finger. Mm-hmm. And and there you go. It's dark as fuck. You can't see anything you're like, well, I it's hope like I when don't you go in the bathroom the and your bathroom has no windows and shit like and you turn off the light and you you could just come in from out like a, a room with lights. So your eyes aren't adjusted to the dark and you can't see your hand in front of your face. That's it's literally dark. It's, like it's fucking dark. Yeah. Yeah. Like when they say zero dark 30, that's what they're referring to. That's exactly what it means. Right. Yeah. It's, right. it's dark. So, and so, so yeah, that was, uh, 
and, and you know, and being an MBGs, I don't give a shit how good they are. Like depth perception is always a problem. Right. Um, you know, just because it's it's 2D and it's it's hard to, you know, wrap your mind around yeah. a, a 2D panel. Try taking always- those uh, VR goggles for your phone and activating your camera and being able to see the real world around you, but only through the lens of your VR goggles and right. walk around. And, and that's that's the level of depth perception. Now take away all the color and all the the familiarity with the surroundings, make it all green. And then anything that's beyond a certain distance. Yeah. And and anything that's beyond a certain distance just disappears. Right. So there you go. It's very difficult. Yeah. You trying (laughs) to walk with that shit or trying to do live fire shit is is very difficult. You eat shit. If you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. It is very dangerous. So you wanted to be a doctor uh, there, doc. And um, so I'm sure I'm assuming you had treated a bunch of, of uh, Marines overseas And what was it like doing um, combat medicine over there? And what were some of the, the I guess, for anybody looking the to craziest get into things? That. Yeah. And what, 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 what did it like show you about um, medicine and combat medicine and, and all that stuff? And well, so I'll tell you, like, we did the best we could to prepare, you know, for, for the invasion in Fallujah, you know, um, you know, they the L.A. Trauma Center opened up and they did a lot of training for mm-hmm. freaking Marines and all that stuff. And the corpsman got to go hang up, you know, with the L.A. Trauma Center, the Marines and the tactical teams got to go work with LAPD to to learn five S's and a T and all that stuff. Um, you know, tactical, you know, tactical, you know, containment and all that garbage. Um, but there I, I can honestly tell you before we ever did the invasion like the only thing we had to prepare ourselves for or with was like walking watching black hawk down we i can't tell you how many times i watched black hawk down right and like now trying to do research yeah just just trying to get my brain set yeah yeah because i knew most of us knew we were about to see war on a scale none of us have ever experienced now on an every day-to-day garrison training situation you'll have a marine fall off of a freaking cliff or you'll have a marine you know jump in a hole or jump off a truck and break his leg or some shit like that or get his hand caught in a freaking tank turret or weird shit happens but it's in garrison and it's controlled right relatively speaking and there's not a lot of outside once something happens in training everything stops right everything stops and you just take care of the situation if you have to call in a truck you have to call in a truck or you've got to call in a freaking bird to get them to the hospital everything stops including the entire base and freaking you know long rifle or whatever makes makes all that happen you don't have that in a combat zone combat zone things are always moving things are always happening there's no slowing down there's no there's no there's no certainty like especially if you're in a firefight the firefight is you're in a firefight you're looking your your best friend is micro terrain like i don't care who you are and i'm a big dude i'm six four 
And at the time I was probably like 230 pounds. Like I'm a big guy mm -hmm. and trying to find micro terrain to cover my thick ass is not easy. So, <laughs> you know, it, it, so, you know, trying to treat people in, in situations like that, it's not easy. Um, what was the biggest but, surprise? Like from, you know, you're, you're mentally prepping, uh, you, you're doing these things. You, you, I'm assuming you were one of the people to go to LA trauma center and, and, you know, deal with that kind of stuff at, in a hospital setting, but, you know, comparatively speaking, when you get out to the field, you know, what was probably the biggest moment of Holy shit, this is real. Or, or, you know, this ain't like the movies. Do you have kind of a moment that you can think of? That's that pivot point for you. Yeah. Well, I can tell you it, it, the very moment that you see somebody you know with some serious trauma, it changes everything. Like, it's it's one thing. Don't get me wrong. I'm a huge fan of EMS, paramedics, you know, flight nurses, all that stuff. But when you know the person you're working on and you've known them for a long time, it changes everything. Right. I agree. Yeah. It changes it's, everything. It's, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Your fucking and heart. The Marines, are, the Marines are around you just to go, just looking at you going, Doc, Doc, what do you what do you need? What do you want? What do you need? Blah, 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 blah. And you're like, hey, listen, shut up. Shut the fuck up. I got some shit I got to figure out right now. Right. I'll tell you what I need in a minute. I'll delegate what I need you to do. But right now, I just have to put my faculties together to figure out what this mass cash looks like, or what this individual casually looks like and process it. And what most people don't realize about Corman is that there are for, let's say for a weapons company, which is probably about 138, 138 solid, right? 138, 150. That's a weapons company for a grunt battalion. There are probably six Corman for that whole group of people. Mm. Mm. That's not and a, that's they're not spread out over all of those people. Right, right. <clears throat> It's not an easy situation and it's, you know, and I don't, I'm not trying to glorify what we do. It's just, it's not easy. It never has been. No, but I think there's a similar component to something we've talked about on this show for firefighters and EMS and police officers. And it, it's, it add to that component. The fact that these are people, you know, it's what you just said is, you know, everybody looks to you, doc, what do we need to do? How can we help? What, what, you know, when when it when it goes bad, everybody looks to you right to be the one with the answers. Everybody looks to you. You know, when when a police officer shows up on a on a death or a you know a, a, a traffic accident or a shooting or something like that, they're the they they know the least about the situation than anybody there. They just right. your arrive. job is scene safety and call freaking the R. But everybody looks at you and says, "What do we do?" Right. You know, firefighters show yeah. up to, you know, medical aids and they know that they know they don't know the medical history. They don't know right. the patient. They They've got the one truck there. for a whole freaking firehouse. But everybody looks at him and says, what do we do? What's what, what right. do you need? What, like, I don't know. Well, you, you know, so mm -hmm. I think that that element of, you know, being the one that everybody looks to for answers, then you I, I mean, I can't even imagine like adding on top of that. The fact that this would be like it, it, for for my cops out there listening or for firefighters out there listening, I think imagine 
if you've ever been at a family barbecue or a, a party with your friends and some shit goes sideways and they're all your civilian friends, they're not cops, they're not firefighters, they're not whatever, but these are all people you know and somebody fucking sets themselves on fire barbecuing or accidentally falls off the roof and has a compound fracture and and then they all know you're a cop or a firefighter and they look at you and go what do we do and these are all your friends these are all the people you care about the, the pressure goes even higher than it does when you're just a uniform on the street doing your job and you can bark orders and people and tell them to sit down and shut the fuck up agreed and it, even even when you're when you're out there and they know that you're more experienced in in like the you know, uh, combat life-saving stuff and, and things like that. Like for me, um, I had some classes on combat life-saving skills and things like that while I was in. And then when I came out, it translated over into law enforcement and triple I used to have people, huh? The triple C still a thing. Yeah. They would try to give me like, they would try to do some like hip pocket bullshit classes. I'm like, you're wrong. And I'm like, and this is the reason why. And I would explain shit to him. They're like, oh shit, well, what qualifications do you have? And I'd explain it to him. I'm like, look, dude, this is the, the courses that I went through while I was in the Marine Corps. And you know, what you're teaching is wrong. And this is what needs to be teaching. You need to be teaching arterial bleeds. You need to be teaching how to throw on tourniquet properly, how to improvise a tourniquet, uh, especially when you have no tourniquet on you. Um, you know, and it's good to you, you we ended up getting some, but you you I'd have them go through courses and classes with these people in our roll calls and be like, hey guys. If you have your, we all have a tourniquet on us and it's called a hobble and, or a belt, but a hobble is going to work the best because it's going to cinch into place really Mm -hmm. fucking tight and you're going to put it above the wound and you're not going to put it on top of it. You're going to put it above it, above the fucking joint and you're going to go there and this is how you're going to do it. And if it's arterial bleeding and it's spurting out and like, that's an arterial fucking bleed and you need to be able to notice these things. If it's just kind of like oozing out and it's just bleeding, like you're, you're you put pressure on it, direct pressure, you right. know, and you had to explain how to put like pressure dressings on. And then when you get into a situation, like I had to act, actually use that shit on one of my really, one of my best friends, he impelled his fucking leg onto a fence. And if it wasn't for me, they would have tore his fucking femoral artery because they tried to pull him through it. And he was in between like two stakes with one straight through him. And it was a fucking Florida Lee on a wrought iron fence. And um, I was like, stop. And, and one of the guys we were working with, was a former um, SWAT officer for many, many, many years. And I said, Hey dude, no. And he looked at me because he knew my qualifications and everything. And he's like, all right, what do you need? And I was like, all right, this is how we're going to do it. And on three, I'm going to fucking, I'm going to pull him out. I mean, like we can't leave him on here. He's freaking out. Like he's going to tear something. So we're going to have to pull him out. We're going to have to put him down. We're going to apply pressure. And it was the most blood I think I've fucking ever seen come out of someone's leg. And everyone freaked out and everyone stopped and fucking a lady comes out of her house, starts screaming. And I'm the only one working on them and putting out traffic and getting the rescue ambulance there and working through the scene and everything. And long story short, he made a fucking uh, great recovery, missed his femoral artery, only had uh, deep soft tissue damage um, and some muscle damage. And that was it. And, but I was like, fuck that could have gone wrong so quick. And like, everybody was like looking at you because you have a little bit more training. Even the SWAT guy was like, what do you need, dude? And it's, right. it was, it's, it's, it puts you in that position. And especially when it's one of your buddies, like it, it, I think that's the hardest thing. Working on someone you don't know is easy. Working on someone, you know, yeah, it's is a lot easier so for sure. Fucking hard. Definitely. It, I mean, it's, it's always hard to see trauma regardless, but I'll say that, like, I agree with you. Like it, it's, it's harder. It's a lot harder because it's personal now. And you know, in the medical field, they always tell you don't make it personal. Well, I don't know about you, you guys. But at the end of the day, you can't do your job as a cop unless it's personal because absolutely, you, it, like, it has to mean something. 
You can't right. be a robot. Otherwise, just hire fucking sociopaths to do it. That's what I was going to say. Like, he, like we can hire all the sociopaths out there and be like, hey, Robocop's right. here. What's up? Right. <laughs> well, and with emergency casualty care, you know, so it's, it's it, when you said that, I was thinking about back to my training and I went to the academy, uh, I might taste before Chuck did. And I received more training in how to help a woman have a baby than I yeah. did in how to treat a gunshot wound. It wasn't until I got into the field with, you know, salty veteran training officers. And one of them was like, Hey, carry a tampon in your, in your war bag, you know, cause we didn't have yeah. trauma kits. Like if you yeah. get shot or somebody gets shot, you know, shove that tampon in there, you know, you know, somebody telling me, Hey, carry, carry maxi pads. Cause that's basically combat dressing. You know, these, yeah. these little tips and tricks right. that they t- tell you and, the, you know, emergency combat care, you know, that's something we should probably spend or should have probably spent a little bit more time on in the Academy. Cause it's something you're going to see a little Absolutely. bit more, but also training you for the fact that when you do it, it's going to be, there's a, there's a, you know, better than, better than even chance that it's going to be on yourself or on your partner. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And, aid, buddy aid, Corman aid. That's how it works, man. Right. You always train that way. Like, that's how we always trained everybody. Like, you, you're going to, we're going to have you work on you. If I were doing a hip pocket class right here in this, in this room right now, I would just be, all right. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to work on you putting a tourniquet on your lower leg. Um, and we're going to work on, uh, we're going to work on a, a abdominal dressing or a, a pressure dressing on a, on a severe, you know, bleed. Um, and we're going to, we're going to, you know, work on whatever, and then we're going to work on buddy aid and then we're going to switch that you're, you're going to work on each other. And then, uh, you know, at that point, when you can't get to what, when it's too much, when the scope is too large, then that's when you call for the RA or the, the doc or the corpsman, Mm -hmm. you know, so that's how, that's how it should be. I, I totally agree with you. Like I, I, it would be awesome if everybody could experience OEMS, mm. OEMS is just, it's live tissue. It's real live tissue, animals, like intubation, all those things that, that a static training, static training. Yeah, a dummy, a wound dummy, the rescue Randy freaking. Like, absolutely not. <laughs> no, I mean, that. well, it's interesting. We were talking about, seeing somebody bleed and i i would say that a hundred percent of people have seen a wound bleed right then there's the next step which is maybe 70 percent of people have truly seen somebody bleeding like really bleeding right but then you drop that down to less than 40 probably less than 30 percent of people have ever seen somebody bleeding out and if you've, if, you think- if you've never seen, and, and you'll probably only see like, like most of the time, if it's, if it's an abdominal wound, right, let's say it's a gunshot wound to the abdomen and it's center mass, the, the large vessels in there, the aorta, the, 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 the superior inferior vena cava, those are very large vessels and they will bleed you out real quick. Um, and, you know, hitting your liver, all those things will cause some real severe bleeding. And I would say even probably less, maybe. 15% of all people 
have seen an arterial spurt. Right. You know, and that and, and, that's until you've seen the amount of blood that can come out of human body. And it's not it's it's not just the volume of blood. It's the speed right. at which a human body can empty itself of blood when it's arterial. It's it, it's so shocking that right. if you're not ready for it, if you're not prepared for it, you'll freeze. You'll 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 have that moment. Now, some people f- freeze for only a half a second and then they you know jump into action. And some people literally go blank and are, fuck. What am I supposed? To, I can't. What am I supposed to do? Hold on. Right. So, you're not yeah. wrong. You know, so like Chuck was talking about pulling his buddy off of the freaking fence, man. Like. And people are like, well, he didn't hit his femoral artery. The reality is, is the femoral artery is a very close artery to the inner side, inner side of your thigh. Mm-hmm. And if you take your hand and you knife hand straight out in front of you, and then you turn your thumb up to where you're looking down, straight down on top of it, that is as large as your femoral artery is. Right. Like your femoral artery pushes out a lot of blood. Mm-hmm. And yeah. You can die from a, from a, a complete sever of a femoral artery in less than two minutes. If you've ever had yeah. your pipe, like the, the pipe that provides water to your bathroom faucet, if you've yep. ever had that rupture and start spilling water out onto the floor, you'll know just how much blood the femoral artery can spit out Good in story. a very short period of time. True story. So, so Chuck, hands down, man, like my, my hat's off to you. That was a hell of a save, man. Like that's, that's a no joker. Yeah, no, he was, a uh, <laughs> at my wedding, he was going around hammered as fuck telling people, you saved my life. <laughs> <laughs> there's always, there's always that one dude at a wedding. Oh, fucking hey, man, he's fucking he's, badass, man. He's funny. He's a good, he's a good guy. I love that dude to death. But so, I'm glad he ended well. Well, yeah. <laughs> fuck yeah. So you uh, you spent seventeen years in, and then um, it's two thousand ten. So now here we are, twenty twenty two, twelve years later, yeah. and you're embarking on this music career that is it. It sounds like healing you as much as it's helping to heal other people. How did that come about? Like, how did it? How did you go from? I'm going to be a, you know, I'm going to go to college and be an anesthesia nurse to I'm going to write songs and go on tour. So what I, when I, when they retired me, I, I decided that I was going to go to medical school Mm. and become a doctor because it's what I always wanted to do. Um, and I had a buddy of mine, I had a doctor buddy of mine. He's like, look, dude, he goes, you already know the job. You don't need to spend 12 years working towards your freaking staff, you know, doctor's license. Like he's like, you don't have to do all that. You already know the job. Just go get a PA license. And I had, I had spent, so I came back from Fallujah and I went straight to a schoolhouse and I taught trauma medicine to new sailors for the, that were going out with the Marines. And so I really never left Fallujah when I came right. back from Fallujah, like, cause I brought Fallujah to that schoolhouse. I literally did. Um, with good reason in, in, yeah. in some cases, yeah. you know, it's good training. Mm-hmm. So I, 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 and it, you know, it caused me some, some serious personal issues and, 
I didn't realize what was going on. I had no idea. Like I, you know, I'd go to sleep. I, I was, I became a workaholic and an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. I don't call myself an alcoholic, but I drank a lot. That was, that was probably my biggest, that was my biggest problem. Um, right. I would work from four o'clock in the morning to like 10 o'clock at night, training, teaching sailors, hip pocket stuff outside of the classroom. And I would go straight to the bar and drink until I couldn't stand up anymore and go home and try to get some sleep. And I'd sleep for, you know, maybe an hour, half, two hours. And and it's drunk sleep. So it's not. Yeah, it's not really sleep. And, you know, in in all of that, there was nightmares and all that garbage, waking up in a puddle of sweat, not knowing where the hell I'm at, trying not to hit my wife, waking up, you know, just just crazy stuff, man. You know, and uh, so long story short, I ended up getting a divorce and all that stuff. And so but I wasn't ready. I, I, I started to go to I started I changed my bachelor's to a bachelor's of science so I could start going to, you know, the path of PA. And it got to the point where I was getting to getting pretty close. And I was just like, man, I'm going to go to PA training and I'm I'm going to have to I'm going to have to do a peds rotation i'm gonna have to be do a burns rotation i'm gonna have to do a trauma rotation and i just thought to him i'm not ready for that yet i'm just yeah. not you could know, i handle I it today it. could i handle it could i could i handle it today if it happened in front of me absolutely i'd have no problem with taking care of some serious trauma that happens in front of me however comma do i want to put myself in that every day all day for the rest of my life yeah doing it acutely is different than immersing yourself in it absolutely so I was just, I was just like, well, I already play music. I already write music. May as well just try that out. See what that looks like. Um so I created a band. I was in a couple of bands while I was on active duty. Um um and created a band in Jacksonville, North Carolina called Deliberately Broken. We were playing music all over Jacksonville, North Carolina and all over North Carolina period. And it just, it just kind of, it kind of fit, you know, um, it was therapy for me. Music was therapy for me because I was writing about the things that I see in my head all the time. And I just was like, man, I can't, you know, I, this is where I'm at. This is what I'm doing. And it, you know, I got a phone call one day. I left, I left North Carolina, went back home to Kentucky and I was sitting on my sister's front porch and I got a phone call from a guy in Houston, Texas. And he's like, Hey man, um, you know, we've talked before. Um, how would you feel about coming to Texas and, and, and just making music and going to tour all the WTUs and all the, the wounded warrior regiments and battalions and stuff all over the country. And I was like, I'm game. Let's go do that. Um, you know, tell our stories to, you know, perform our music and do free shows for everybody. So that's what we did. Uh, we became a band, a band called vetted. Um, we were all combat wounded guys and a firefighter. Um, and we became, we became big advocates for suicide prevention. Right. Because we've all experienced those moments. Yep. And if you haven't, you're lying. Right. Right. Um, 
you know, so that's where that's where the music became the music, you know, it just the music became what what drove me at that point. Right. Uh, the band ended up like we, you know, the, vetted vetted got pretty big. We we toured all all over the country. You know, we played the the whiskey go go. We played we played one of our biggest shows was Invictus in 2016. Oh wow! The closing ceremonies for you know uh, the Invictus Games in Orlando. That was probably one of the coolest shows in the world. Um, the band got a little toxic and. <clears throat> I wasn't really taking care of myself and uh, it just got to a point to where I kind of needed to take a break. I may or may not have had a mental breakdown because I, I may or may not have published my phone number like a dumbass. Oh, oh. like, Hey, uh, if you're having trouble, right? Because I'd never been in a position where I had, <clears throat> you know, 10,000 people following me. Right. You know, and, you know, there the Internet has no boundaries. New. And I had I didn't I didn't understand all that. I just wanted to help people. And so my number was published and I'd have texts and and emails and and all these things I was reading. And I wasn't taking care of myself either. Like I just wasn't. And I had a mental breakdown and I went I sat in our uh, our studio right before the end, uh, coming out of a drunken stupor, and I uh, I had a, a an MP nine shield that I was clicking across my forehead, and I had my forty five thirty S in my lap, and like I was just like I don't like. I don't know what to do anymore. Like I can't. Like I, I'm, I'm, I'm done. Right. You didn't have any specific intentions, but you also didn't know what, like, like what the next step is. Right. I was in a toxic relationship in a toxic band. I was toxic. It just wasn't very good. It was not a good place. So I ended up spending time at the Bakey Medical Center for about a week, and. When I got out, I just, I called the guys. I was like, listen, I, I need, I need to, I need to take a break. I need to step out of this for a little while. Cause I can't anymore. Like it's too much. And so when, you know, people talk about Kurt Cobain. Yeah. Like I, I can get it. Right. I get, you know, um, because fame is famous, tough. Fame can be tough if you're not ready for it. Yeah. Um, and, and, you're still, we, we talked about this a little bit earlier. You're still the same asshole you always were. Facts. You are still the same. I'm still the same, you know, cop I was. I mean, if I were doing the job now, I'd have a little bit more wisdom, I think. But, I, you know, I'm still the same asshole I was the day I entered the academy. Sure. Um, I, I may know a little bit more than some of the younger guys, but that's just because I've been there, done that. But it doesn't make it me a better person. It doesn't make me more well adjusted. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't mean I, I I I can say a lot of these things on here about how to deal with things. But it doesn't mean that it's easy for me to take that advice when it comes time for me to live my life. Always better to give. It's always easier to give than take. Yeah. So Isn't that the truth. Yeah. yeah. So I, I totally understand that. 
yeah so so it just got it got a little too much for me and i <clears throat> i left the band i was in a relationship for probably another six months to a year and <clears throat> that got really really bad and i was like shit in I, your bed yeah I'm, no she didn't shit my bed <laughs> Sorry, wasn't much different than her. I promise you. Right, right. Like you know that. Like my ex was, she had her own set of issues, and we just we did not we did not blend well. And um, so you know we we I I was like I'm done. I can't. And I just I decided to move to Austin, and I had to basically start all over musically. you know, sitting on a bar stool again, like I did when I started out in the first place, really? sitting on a bar stool, playing an acoustic guitar, playing my music, re kind of reinventing or re- getting to know yourself again. Yes, that was it. Th- you couldn't have said that better. Yeah, you, you know, I was excited. <laughs> I was excited to do this uh, this interview today and uh, to have have you on the show, and I uh, showed a buddy. Uh, who you were, and I was like, "Hey, check this dude out. We're gonna have him on the show today." And I played one of your songs. I just went to Apple iTunes, clicked because I have all this stuff downloaded. I just clicked the the first one, and he was like, "Oh wow, that's really good." And I was like, "Yeah, this dude's this fucking talented." And then I kind of gave him a little bit of your backstory, and he's like, "Oh shit, wow, really awesome." And I was like, "You know, you kind of sound like like it's like um like older older rock with southern like, rock with like." With like five finger death punch and country and, and country rock and, and rock. And oh yeah, just, you can hear your metal metal influences, it's, but it's oh, definitely it's southern so rock. Good. You know. Yeah, yeah. Like you're not wrong. You're not wrong. So uh, like I always tell people, I don't like people ask me what genre of music I'm in. I'm like mm, whatever. Like it's definitely got some grind to it. I I you know I grew up in Kentucky, so bluegrass was always part of what I listened to, what I heard growing up. You know. Mm-hmm. Bluegrass and old school, like Hank Williams Sr. and all that stuff, Waylon mm-hmm. Jennings and all those guys. Mm-hmm. Outlaw country. Yeah, outlaw country. And, you know, and then, you know, long-haired rock, you know, happened and, you know, glam rock and all that garbage. And I was like, oh, that's cool for you, whatever, man. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so, hey, it was cool know. at the time. Yeah. yeah. It was well, cool and at the I, time. I started playing music on the sax- on the saxophone. Like, yeah, I started on the trumpet. <laughs> That was, you know, my grandfather, you know, told he gave me a Boots Randolph cassette and said, hey, the very moment that you learn how to play this whole cassette front and back. For those of you who don't know what a cassette is, look it up. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's it's not to be confused with an eight track, but it's close. Yeah. Um, and he said, once you learn how to play this cassette front and back like Boots Randolph, he says, I'll buy you your very first independent owned saxophone and i was like done so that's where i trained in my ear uh and i would play with you know uh, the radio and you know all those kenny g and all that happy garbage whatever um you know um that's where i started with music um you know i would always sing in the back of the car my dad would always yell at me shut up can't hear the radio and I just sing under my voice anyway, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I go in car rides with people, and the music comes on. I'm like, I'm sorry if you catch me singing. It's it's not it's not even conscious. I'm not even aware I'm doing it. It just it's it's just a thing. Let it roll. Just yeah. let it roll. Just just yeah, I don't relax. mind. Just let it happen. When the when the person <laughs> who's 
who's singing along to the song is good, but when they're right. fucking horrible, I'm like, hey man, <laughs> who sings this song, dude? Yeah, like, yeah. You should let them sing it. I'm like, yeah, you should let, let them fucking it. sing it, dude. Yeah. Uh, and I oh, I didn't God. understand like I have always my my whole family's musically talented, artistically talented, whatever. I've always been able to sing. Um, I've always been able to play music. My father-in-law couldn't carry a tune in a suitcase. And mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> it, I, you know, it wasn't until I started trying to play hockey that I understood that for some people, music is proof that you can love something and be terrible at it. <laughs> True story. You couldn't, be, you couldn't say that any more perfectly. Oh, so, so, Tom, let me ask you, I'm going to ask you a question. Have oh. you got on to TikTok and seen all these like, 50,000 followers of people who are playing music on TikTok and they can't keep it oh, like yeah. I'm like uh what I, yeah I, so like, I'm, struggling to keep my, I'm struggling to keep my 5,000 and you're like 35,000 yeah, I don't understand like, it I don't get it and um, everybody's my, on there commenting oh my god you're so awesome and I'm going oh my ears hurt oh. or when a guy just takes two songs like some guy had taken uh um, uh, an Avenged Sevenfold or a no Dragon Force song, and then cut Don Henley singing Hotel California over top of it, and they're like, "Isn't this amazing?" And everybody's like freaking out. Oh my god, it's the same song. I'm like, yeah, everybody's known that for decades. yeah, yeah. Like, hey, mashups are a thing. They always have. The song them. came out, right. and I was like, oh, that's fucking Hotel California to, with metal. You know, like right. the so fact I, that you I, said I, Dragon Force alone was just like interesting just saying yeah so anyway it's it's just funny because my daughter i bought her a guitar years and years ago but it was one of those like little my first guitars just to see if she wanted to play it and uh, she didn't really do much with it but i've played you know for 30 plus years now and right uh, so the other day she tells me because she's she's you know gonna be a theater major and she says dad i feel like i'm missing the boat on not playing i'm not learning how to play the guitar want to learn to play the guitar now and so right. she actually, she just turned 21 and she asked for a guitar. So I took her and bought her her first real guitar right for her 21st birthday. And I, she's like, I cannot wait. She literally, she ripped her fake nails off of her left hand in the car so she could, <laughs> you know, play on the fretboard when we got home. But what was amazing to me is, is that like, uh, and I, I'm sure you can kind of understand this. First of all, she picked up the guitar faster than even I did. And I picked it up pretty damn fast. She could, you know, yeah. she was playing, uh, she was playing five and six chords the first, you know, the first day, like, and she did, wow. wasn't with, with muscle memory, not with like learn looking at her hand. Right. Right. But I realized that just sitting there playing with her and just, just, just expressing that music and getting it out there again and, and, and playing it's, it's, it really is. If you don't have a hobby and you want to take up music, it's therapeutic, man. It, it is, man. It is something about it. Yeah. Well, I think, I think what we are missing period in, in the world today is expression, just self-expression period. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it makes, it makes my heart sad because, you know, a, like, you know, you, you can't really tell anybody what's going on with you because they're either going to use it against you or make you feel like trash for feeling what you feel. Um, but Self-expression is the best way. I mean, that's, I'll be honest with you. I, I don't know about what you guys do, if you guys do any therapy or any of that stuff, but I'll tell you, self-expression has probably been my healing, most healing 
avenue period yeah. from from childhood trauma all the way to here mm-hmm. you know i mean true story like you know and and just being able to talk about it period yeah, art is right. a safe way to express things that you can't say like you can't say to people because it it's almost like you they'll look it's the same thing we talk about on the show you somebody asks you to tell a story hey tell me about you know when you were deployed or tell me about a call you were on or tell me about a fire you went to or tell me about you know an ambulance you know call you had or whatever tell me about a patient and you start to tell them the story and then everybody's seen it you know a minute into the story it starts to get real and the look on their face changes and they're like yeah how the fuck do I back out of this without? Yeah, yeah. I, oh, I yeah. Can't handle this. This is. You but, open the door, man. <laughs> right, but with music, because it's an abstract form mm-hmm. and it can mean different things to different people, you can put a lot of personal shit into it. Yeah. With its art, whether it's writing, whether it's acting, you can put a lot of personal shit into it. And I agree. It it's therapeutic for you, but it's also therapeutic for them because there's the the fundamental. Uh, philosophy of kill the author where once a piece of art is released on the world it becomes open to the interpretation of the person receiving it correct you know i do and i love that and i and i you know you i i got a lot of people who are like hey i got this song i'd like for you to look at and for them it was it was a good moment to sit down and write therapeutically um but they're very literal Mm mm-hmm and it, you know, and it doesn't doesn't necessarily like like you know. Let's write a country song. We're gonna start with rolling down, I'm rolling down mobile in my home V. Blah 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 blah. Like, right? Mm, like, okay, that's really good therapy for you. Right, right. I call it on the nose. Sometimes it's too on the nose, and that's right. For, it, it, the more on the nose it is, the more niche, the more. You know, you narrow the, the smaller the vein it is, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. So I, you know, me personally, I like to, I like to be very um, metaphorical. Yeah, broad. Like, yeah, I just like to paint with a very broad brush and just kind of give you something like, hey, like I need to breathe. Is what was literally written. Probably, I'd been back from Fallujah. I was sitting at a coffee house with a friend of mine, Tiffany, and I was watching everybody like i was like like and i i really was having a hard time taking a deep breath like you ever had you ever had a panic attack yeah yes you just like you can't get to your title volume it's yeah. just like it gets like right here and you're like mm-hmm. i just you gotta feel go like somebody's sitting on your chest further. yeah i just gotta go that much further and everything will be okay but you can't get there mm-hmm. and i was sitting there doing that and she goes are you okay and i'm like no i'm not she goes well let's 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 she goes do you have your guitar let's pull it out and let's do something with it and then so i started creating the sound and and the the chord progression and she threw a couple words at me and i started throwing we we just wrote the song the song happened in like five minutes literally some of the best do that and a little coffee house in the middle of chula vista nowhere Mm -hmm. you know and I call it lightning in a bottle. I'm sure that I'm not the only person because I didn't coin that phrase. Um, it was probably Billy Gibbons, but <laughs> but lightning in a bottle, man, and and it's and it's everything that I was feeling at that moment because I couldn't take a deep breath, right? 
I couldn't. I couldn't feel. I couldn't. I, I was just, I was completely, I felt like somebody was standing on top of me. Yeah. So. Well, brother, I appreciate you coming on here. We, we want to have you back. I, I can't wait to get out to Austin <laughs> or get you out here so we can just, uh, you know, strap on the guitars and, and jam a little bit, man. Don't threaten me with a good time. Like, this I know. Is, there are guitars all over this room. Yeah, I see that twelve string behind you, and that's my next. Uh, that's my next ask. Is I need. Yeah. I've been. I've been dying for a twelve string for a long time, and it's. Uh, that's next on my list. My PR. <laughs> this was. This was. This was my. I survived. I survived Fallujah guitar. That's yeah, nice. a gift to yourself. Oh, those PRSs are great. <clears throat> yeah, I always wanted to learn to play the guitar. My What's stopping you? Is a little too short. I don't know. No, dude, you just get a dinky. <laughs> Listen, you, I mean, you put I have big hands, but small doesn't matter. Brother, get, get a, there's, there's guitars that make, they're, they're made for people with smaller hands. You just gotta, I'll tell you, there, listen, I'll be honest with you. Like you're, you're a percussionist. And to be honest with you, if you started to learn how to play guitar, mm-hmm. you learning percussion guitar would be prime. Oh yeah, for sure. Like, I bet you, you would tear it up. Well, Shannon, how can people find you and your music? I mean, give your website. Your uh, I just sent you a, a follow on uh, on the gram. People, if they Ooh. want to follow you on the gram, how can they do that? Um, uh, Shannon media. Book Music, man. Shannon Book Music um, on Instagram and on Facebook. Um, I'm on Spotify. Just Shannon Book, Spotify, Apple, Apple Play, um, iHeart, anything that you get your wherever you get your digital download music. Mm-hmm. That's where you can find me. Amazon, all that stuff. Um, I have. I have two web pages. I have, they're still under construction. Shannon Book Music dot uh, com and uh, Deliberately Broken dot com. Um, you know they're still like I said they're still under construction, um, but they're coming along. And well, people can find you on social media. Shannon Book Music. Mm-hmm. You can find me all over. Check it out. And as you can hear, uh, well, at the end of this episode, we'll be playing one of your songs. Um, do you have a Absolutely. favorite you want us to play, or can we just uh, dealer's choice, or what do you want to do? Um, yeah, you know what? I'll tell you what. You asked me earlier if I wanted to dedicate this episode to to a specific person. Mm-hmm. And I've been thinking about that since you started. And I would like to dedicate this episode and the song to my buddy Chief Navy Corman, Joe Schulter. Okay. And the song would be I Need to Breathe Rewired. All right. We will end our show with I Need to Breathe Rewired. Uh, and again, I appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks for having um, me. It's, it's been a great time. It's been a blast, <laughs> Chuck. Uh, I know Chuck has some business housekeeping to do at the end. Go ahead, brother. I do. Well, first, before I start, Doc, thank you so much for coming on. I love your music. Um, I find myself listening to it in, in my car. Yeah, uh, it made my wife cry, by the way. I forgot to say that. It's <laughs> fucking wow. amazing. Wow. Thanks. Um, it, it is truly inspirational. And thank you so much for coming on. And we yep. would be having me ecstatic to have you on again. I mean, yep. Really amazing. Anytime, brother. You um, guys let me know and I'm game. Trust me. It's been amazing. An, a blast. Thanks, brother. Um, <clears throat> for the rest of you, thank you all for listening today. If you like today's podcast, please go and follow us on our Instagram at war underscore stories underscore official and our Facebook at war stories podcast. If you already follow us, share our posts and our info. You can also go to the link in our bio on Instagram and Facebook to reach all of our socials our media, and our website. Our podcast is on all major podcast streaming platforms, 
as well as on YouTube. If you want to support us, please go to our website at www.warstoriesofficial.com and grab some gear. We still have some Wooby hoodies, shirts, patches, and stickers left. We'll be doing some spring and summer gear as well. And if you want to be featured on our show and or think you have a story or want to share your story, please go to booking.warstories at gmail.com and send me your story and I can get you booked for the show. We are looking for law enforcement, corrections, dispatchers, fire, medics, and veterans. If you have a friend who you think would be a great fit, let them know about us and give them our booking email. Again, that's booking.warstories at gmail.com. And again, thank you for the support and stay safe. And uh, to Zach, who sent us the email, uh, we've, we had our email episode where we, we've answered a couple of questions. Zach followed up with us. And uh, I just yeah, want to say, uh, going to the Fire Academy, congratulations, brother. I mean, we're, we're glad that the, the little pieces of shitty advice we could give you from our years of <laughs> <laughs> banging our heads against the wall help. Uh, and keep keep it surprised. Uh, you know, so good good on you, Zach. And uh, for all our listeners, if you if you reach out and you want to tell us what you're doing and and uh, share with us your stories, uh, we'll be glad to glad to hear them and we're glad to follow up with you. So until our next episode, come home with your shield or on. Need to breathe. I need to breathe. I need to.